and behold, Michael Irvin has called into the show. We're going to start with you. Playmaker, uh, go ahead and defend yourself here. Why are you handing out 88 to anybody that wants one? First of all, I'm not handing it out to anyone. We are not handing it out to anyone. In order to get this number, you must be what we call a true bread. That means born, bleed, and bread right here with the Dallas Cowboys. Drew Pearson was that. Oh, my God. was that. Dez Bryant was that. And now C.D. Lamb is that. And I love this kid. I ain't talking about I like this kid. I love this kid. I, I, I usually, just because of what I do, because well, of what I, I do, and, and I want to always make myself available to guys, I usually call all the young wide receivers that come in. I already called Jerry Judo. Before I could do that, C.D. Lamb called me. We've had multiple conversations, and, and, and I love the kid. He's going to be exactly what Dallas need, and he's that solution to all the problems everybody else will give us and get Dallas where they need to be. The only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys indeed? What a weekend it was in Cowboys Nation and controversial at that. But, you know, what else is new around here, right? So, uh, welcome in to About Them Cowboys here on The Athletic, where our Cowboys gurus will break it all down for you. I am Kent Garrison, running things behind the scenes here as always as we dive into the legacy of 88, Andy Dalton becoming a cowboy, and the debut of an Andy Dalton song that you will not want to miss. And remember, you can follow along with all of our coverage for every sport and every team, not just the Dallas Cowboys over at The Athletic. Secure your subscription through May of 2021 now at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys for 40% off. That rounds out to about $3 per month, so put off that box of Captain Crunch for at least one month and get the most exceptional sports coverage you can get anywhere at The Athletic. And we're also running a 90-day free trial right now. So, if you're skeptical, check us out for 90 days and then secure your subscription with 40% off at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. So now, I'm excited to welcome in our panel for this episode, making her first appearance on the show. You might know her from her time at DallasCowboys.com on one of the dozen or so on the dozen or so shows that they've got going on around there. And she's got her own podcast now called Girls Talking Boys. It's Kelsey Charles. Hi, Kelsey. What's up, guys? I feel like I should do my like, little throwback drop that we don't have anymore and, and like so we can make a new one. Like, hi. <laughs> no, it was For like, old time's like, sake. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I have, yeah, there you go. I have it somewhere. I'll have to dig through the archives and find that. So next time you come on, I'll, yes. I'll welcome you with a hi. But yeah, Kelsey I and I uh, worked together a lot at DallasCowboys.com. She hosted a couple podcasts over there and and was a marketing guru and always hooked things up at Oxnard. She she was the, the person to go to when you needed to get guests in at Oxnard. And so a lot of memories out there. I take care there. of my people. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're proud to be your people and we're, we're happy to have you to talk some Cowboys. Definitely a lot to talk about. But let's welcome in now. Uh, he is back to put us in our place when it comes to all things Dallas Cowboys. He's our very own bad boy of Detroit. It's Father John Mashoda. Hey, John. How are you spending your free time this week? You know, because you brought up the bad boy of Detroit thing, let me just say for everybody out there that, like, this last dance is, is great. But let's just remember, it's being told on a very bulls side of things. Um <laughs> To act like I Very just biased. love how it was just like already we're right. through six episodes, just like oh these Pistons were so mean to us and these Knicks were so physical and we just had to stand up to these bullies. Please stop with that. But it is entertaining and I have enjoyed watching all the episodes. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Gosh, uh, did they do a Bad Boys Thirty for Thirty already? They did, didn't they? They have, yeah. Oh man, they they needed ten parts on that thing. They could do a couple, um, couple on Rodman alone, which they've done with the Last Dance. But no joke. Yeah, they need to flesh that out a little bit more. Make a movie of the that. The whole like Vegas trip was like, I was like, what? Like you just casually decided to go on vacation? What? What's funny then, about that it, is they had a bunch of cameras following him there too. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
And I guess his son like had just found out about that through the watching the last dance too. And I was like, that's oh epic. Gosh. Like that's such a Rodman move. <laughs> and, it's, it, and imagine being Carmen Electra there and like Dennis is with all these other chicks <laughs> just going yeah. around town and she's just like eye candy or like, you know, uh, a trophy pretty, girlfriend pretty or whatever at that time. But yeah, pretty much. not only did he do that, I can't believe he had a camera crew like following him around in Vegas. So, you know, Unreal. as a documentary filmmaker, that's the type of stuff you dream about, you know, is like, oh, is there actually footage of it, though? There is? Oh, my gosh. Well, you got to do an episode <laughs> on this. So, yeah, I'm excited. I still need to watch the most recent ones. I haven't. I was caught up in Westworld finale last night, so I need to get on Ooh. that today. More Last Dance. But uh, let's welcome in our host to guide our conversation. It's the one and only Kevin KT Fun Tweets Turner. KT, Wow. So much to talk about today. So much on the plate. So much Cowboys news. They never stop, right? Never. There's always there's always time. People like you and John Mashota don't get any time off ever. As the Cowboys are like, hey, we're going to do something, which is good because there's no sports right now. So the Cowboys well, yeah. doing stuff is fun. It's good because John and I actually have stuff to talk about and write about. It's not we're not we're not uh, you know like our MLB and NHL writers. You know, at in month two of this. Uh, pandemic they're trying to figure out stuff to talk about because there's just no news for their teams you know if you're covering the columbus blue jackets right now what are you gonna what are you gonna do a podcast about so from that perspective yeah it's great that uh, there's there's always cowboys news well for the record ken i loved your piece on the uh, dfw uniforms thank you yeah hopefully uh, um let's get this let's get this trending hashtag no seafoam let's get it let's get it going I'm tired of it but yeah, check that out over at the Athletic. I did hey, a little real, breakdown of the of the DFW uniform scene. Yeah. While I do like the one that you uh, came up with, and that does look it looks sweet. It that's looks, cool. It's a nice traditional fire. look. But that doesn't pop on TV, and that's why they will never change it. That 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 the whole sea foam thing, and then the way that there's a different color on the star and all that is because it stands out more on TV. And I mean, if no. you hear Jerry talk like that's what he cares about more than anything. He knows how important like TV is with everything like I that. I think Jerry is under the impression that it still lo- it looks silver through the TV, which is just not true anymore. Sure, it's no, not. I'm sure, but but it stands out like a lot more, especially when you did that photo where you had them both right next to each other. Like the mm-hmm. while they're the the one that you have, like it looks better, like. You know, I, I saw the uniform rankings, and they had the Raiders number one uh, that they did in the athletic, and I agree with that. And that's that's a cool, like traditional looking thing. But like, I feel like that that one that they wear now is just made because of the way that they think it looks on TV. I'm willing to bet the Cowboys would have been number one on that list that the athletic did of all the NFL uniforms if the sea foam and the unmatching colors was not a thing. I think Cowboys would have been number one. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the Colts why. Were ahead that's of why they're. Say yeah, what? The, Col- the Colts were ahead of Wasn't them, and that, that thing's so boring. Yeah, Tex Ram did it because back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s, or I mean, in the 60s and 70s, you, you know, through a TV, the way the color saturates, there was only a three-color RGB signal to right. decipher the color from. So they, the silver was, was almost impossible to come through a, a, the image processing. But now with HD, you see the true color. So it looks even more green now. And, you know, people were tweeting me saying, wow, I thought my TV was messed up all these years that their pants looked like that. I can't believe that they would do that. <laughs> and to your point, John, they could wear hot pink pants out there and they would stand out. Doesn't mean it's right for the uniform. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't, you, it doesn't like, match. It's, it's green, <laughs> you know. If that doesn't show you like how far ingrained in this team's DNA marketing is, I don't know what to tell you. Like truly. Yeah. It's, it's because it's been like that from basically day one. Like their priorities, it, obviously winning games is important to this team, but I feel like marketing has been pretty far up there as well. And to, to change the color of your pants and the color of your logos on the field solely for the sake of a television broadcast, I mean, that's massive. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I feel like they could change it now and, and say why. And people will be like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. HD. Yeah. Understand it. Cool. You but know? I like when and, they put the color rush white pants with that, with right? the white uniforms. I do That's like that. Dope. I like that. And I like, I like when they wear the white pants with the blue jerseys, which they've done a couple of yeah. times in the past few years. They did it on Thanksgiving last year, I believe. But, um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I mentioned to one of the brand executives at the Cowboys when I was there about, Hey, you guys should do a, uh, a color rush. That's uh Navy pants with the Navy jerseys. And they looked at me like, 
wow, that would be cool. Like they had never even considered doing that before. And that kind of blew my mind. Like they didn't think of every possibility of, of what they could do with these uniforms. Like they just, it's just gotten to the point where they're just a thing that they've accepted and they'll never change it because, oh, it's tradition. You know, even though it could be better, they don't care because it's, um, it's always been that way. Do you know what I'm saying? So they, they have yeah. no reason to change because it's the Cowboys, you know, even though I think they would look better and maybe sell more jerseys if they had it, had it better. Um, they don't look at it that way. They look, it's like the Texas A&M thing. And I am an Aggie, so I can say this is they, they don't care how ridiculous it is or seems that they have a ROTC guarding the field and stuff. It's tradition, you know, and that's why we do it. And that's the only reason. And, we're not going to change. So I understand both sides of it, but at the same time, it annoys me as a somebody who's, you know, overly obsessed with aesthetics of, of teams. But yeah, I saw the Colts were ranked ahead of them on our list at The Athletic. Yeah, that was boring. The Colts uniforms are boring to me. The Colts were number five on the list. Yeah. I didn't like what? that. What? Yeah, I don't I mean, that's I don't that. So I didn't like the Bears at number two either, to be honest. I can understand I that. So, I can understand the Packers or Bears or maybe Steelers being ahead of the Cowboys, but I can't. I can't get behind I like the Steelers. The yeah, I like the Steelers. It's classic, but um, I also have the unpopular opinion where I really like their throwbacks, and I'm gonna. I'll I'll die on this hill, so it's fine. Yeah. Well, speaking of uniforms, KT. Uh huh. Yes, sir. That's let's get it started that way, right? So uh, <laughs> before we talk about Andy Dalton, we got to talk about CD Lamb. As he gets drafted and then, you know, puts out a good tweet that number 10 should be his number. And then Jerry has a comment that he'd love for C.D. Lim to wear number 88 in honor of his friend. Uh, I forget the guy's first name. Mr. Lamb uh, at Arkansas who wore number 88 and had passed away. And then the days go by and then earlier in the week, C.D. Lamb uh, announces that he will be wearing number 88 for the Dallas Cowboys. Let's start with you, Kelsey. What are your thoughts on C.D. Lamb? Getting number 88, was he forced into this? Should he have gotten to choose on his own? Did he get to choose on his own? Your overall thoughts on CeeDee Lamb having to wear 88? So I actually have several thoughts about it. Um, first of all, I was I was listening to the fan like most, probably a couple of people were when they were listening to the broadcast as all of this was going, kind of going down. And I heard CD say, I want to wear number 10. And so I was like, well, he's going to wear number 10. But then I was also like, well, how did you already know you're going to wear number 10? Like I've never being around the team for a couple of years. I've never seen a player automatically as soon as they've been drafted for the most part, like know what number they were going to wear. So that was a little bit shocking in itself. Um, and then I heard the Jerry comments and, and I was like, Ooh, um, well, Jerry kind of gets his way. And, and when I, when I heard 88, I was like, well, I obviously think that this means not that I thought honestly it was going to happen, but the Des probably isn't going to be coming back to the team. And I know there's been a lot of Cowboys fans that have been like, one-year deal, one-year deal, or whatever it may be. And I mean, shoot, like you could probably convince me at least a really low dollar amount for a, a short amount of time that it, we might be able to swing it just because I love him. But yeah, I was surprised. I think, I don't think it was necessarily CD's decision because I actually talked to Sooner Sports um, reporter Jessica Cootie a couple days ago, and she told us, some of the logic as to why he's worn the numbers he's worn in the past CD. Um, 32 was a number he wore, his his uncle wore, who was basically like a father figure to him. And um, so he wore three in high school and then he wore two in college. So obviously 32 intentional. And so I was trying to like configure some way that I thought that 32 or some organization of it within the teens or the 80s could make some sense for him. The best I came up with was, you know, 10 because three, three plus two times two for a second year. Like I was stretching it. Um, so either way, yeah, I do think that he was kind of pushed into this by the team. I think, I think though that the way you reframe it could be an interesting perspective that this organization views him as the next coming or, or, good enough to wear that number. I don't think they give out this number lightly. It's like the 94s. It's like, you know, I don't think you'll see an 82 if ever, but if they ever did, you can't hold back every number forever. Um, so it's definitely an interesting development. And I also, quite frankly, again, we go back to marketing. <laughs> this team is very marketing minded and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if that was a small factor in why they decided to give him this number because it's going to be a really big deal. But it's really exciting for Cowboys fans to have a wide receiver drafted in the first round, especially when they had other needs. So it's 
it's a new regime, a new era, I guess, for this team. And so to build off that excitement, why not bring in another 88? Yeah, I think it just comes down to Jerry Jones gets what Jerry Jones wants. And uh, Jerry has a very, uh, he has got a very good persona on the outside, especially when he does interviews and that. And when he's around people that, you know, he's kind of comes off as this cool old grandpa. And uh, I think a lot of people see a, a different side of Jerry Jones and what he is behind the scenes. And uh, I was watching this documentary recently on HBO. It's called like uh, Becoming Warren Buffett. And I'm so fascinated by like how Warren Buffett became you know, the richest man in the world. And, and, you know, he's close with Bill Gates and these guys, when they talk, you're just like, Oh, he seems like a really nice guy. I, you know, he seems like he'd be really cool to hang out with. And he just seems like he just wants to have a good time. And it's like, no, these guys become successful like this because they're just absolute beasts behind the scenes and they get what they want. And, uh, and that's how Jerry Jones is. And as soon as he mentioned that his old teammate who passed away in December, Jerry Lamb wore 88 and how like, you know, he'd like to see, CD go on and, and and be another lamb to wear that number and to follow in the footsteps of Drew Pearson and Michael Irvin and Des Bryant. I was like, oh, this guy, this guy's going to be wearing 88. I also think it's interesting how teams will move on number wise from guys like that. You see it more now, though, um, where they want to give the number out to, to somebody next to kind of just move on. And I don't know if it's because of Jersey sales or whatever, but it's just to kind of like move it on to the next chapter. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think it all comes down to Jerry. I don't think CeeDee Lamb, like a lot of these younger receivers, they want to wear the numbers like, you know, between 10 and 19. You know, the older receivers are the ones that won, wore the numbers in the 80s. And so uh, Jerry wanted him to wear 88, so he's wearing 88. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Why is what? Like I, the, 80, the older receivers wear the 80s and the younger ones wear the teens. I think all the younger players, uh, just not receivers, all younger players all want to wear something below the number 20. I mean, uh, college football now is crazy with how many uh, yeah. defensive linemen were single digits. And I think it's kind of funny, like even, you know, watching some of the film on uh, Caleb on chase on going into this, this year and just seeing him in a lower number like that. I, I, I literally thought it made him look like he was smaller than what he really is. And there's been some good uh, defensive linemen. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Rashawn Gary from Michigan uh, wore a single digit and it just Young, makes right? you look, What's that? Chase Young? Yeah, Derek Brown, Chase Young. They were Taco. Yeah. It's more of a now thing. I, th- I feel like guys, the yeah. younger, like now generation wants to wear the lower numbers. Well, see, in football, though, because you have 53 players, football is less about, you know, retiring uniform numbers. Like basketball and baseball, they're retiring uniform numbers all the time. Um, just getting rid of them. No one will ever wear this one again. And it seems like that happens all the time. In football, you can't really do that because you need the numbers because your roster has so many people on it. Um, so, I, I mean, I like the idea of, you know, turning 88 into this iconic franchise number forever, and that's like a standard. But I do think at all times the players should have the choice um, of the numbers that are available. And when Jerry went and said that, it's like, man, this is Des Bryant all over again. I don't know if Des wanted to wear 88 in the beginning. I actually don't remember that far back. But I remember Jerry pushing for it. After they drafted him, Jerry was trying to get Des to wear the iconic number 88, which is fine. Like, it's just a number. In the end, it's very it's very unimportant. Uh, but I was just like, just let him wear what he wants to wear. Uh, hey, like, Katie, you know what, you he know what made me— He shouldn't be forced to do anything. It made me think of, like, the Cowboys obviously haven't drafted a quarterback very high, really not since, what, Troy Aikman might be the last one. And it made me think, like, if they drafted Trevor Lawrence, would they give him 12 or 8? Because no one's wore— 12 or, or 8 because of Staubach or Aikman. But I feel like with the way the Cowboys are, if they Ooh. ever got in a position where they had the number one pick and it was obviously going to be this clear-cut quarterback, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him 8. What if they gave Andy, they gave Andy Dalton number 9? No chance. 14's available. You set the world on fire? Lance Lenore's not on the team anymore, so 14 is, is going to be Dalton. But Yeah. yeah. 10 was Tavon Austin, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. And... Yep. And I was saying there, Tavon Austin, it's not out of this world that he could return. I think it is now. But before that, like, and then we were talking about Dez, like, and it seems like very, uh, like, not going to happen type of conversation, but still, like, it's still out there every once in a while. Like, uh, those two guys, it's, they're going, oh, I think Tavon would be more likely to come back and wear number 10 again just because everyone in the locker room loves him. But it's like, I don't know. It's, I feel like, I feel like the owner shouldn't, 
shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's kind of just forcing stuff on yeah. players. I don't you, think you, you know, he, he KT, he probably definitely called CD and like told him the story about his teammate yeah. and put CD he sold it to him. and yeah, it put CD yeah. in a position where he couldn't say no. But you, you know? guys, like, this is what he loves to do. Like, he's a he's a marketer. He's a business kind of guy. Like, I feel like in my heart of hearts, he obviously had a really sentimental com- connection to this number, and he, you know, he thinks highly of CD. So he's like, "Well, I'm going to go sell it to him." Like, he lives off of that stuff, don't you think? You know, he's like, "Oh, Absolutely. this guy wants to do this." Like, let me go ahead and convince him that he is the next it guy. Like, he is the next franchise like receiver for this team like we he he lives off of that it doesn't do cd any any of a service kt of though having to live up to that expectation you know yeah, rather than he was pay, already going to be high enough yeah right? he was already going to have enough hype but i mean pave your own path be your own player you know and now he's going to be compared to michael irvin and des bryant with everything he does he's he you know it, that's Antonio Bryant flamed out because of that almost very same thing. It's like, uh, you know, he never lived up to what they could be. And those are, that's a high standard to live up to. I mean, Des Bryant has like 80 touchdowns, you know? I mean, that's, even if he lives up to Des's standard, that's high, let alone Drew Pearson and, and Michael Irvin. I mean, I would rather, like you said, have him pave his own path with number 10 and be his own player and make that number iconic, put that number in the ring of honor, you know? You already have like a first round tag to your name in the NFL these days. Like, we just look at what happened with Taco or any first round pick that flames out. It's all, they become a punchline. And maybe that's because of the internet and social media or whatever, but they become this like punchline if they fail as a first round pick. Like, he's already got that. You don't need to like put these iconic wide receivers in front of him. And he's got to live up to that as well. I think CD can handle it, but it's just. It just seems like bad strategy. Like there's something about like manipulation has a, a negative connotation, and I think sometimes it is a bad thing to do. But a lot of people that have worked in sales before, part of your job is to manipulate the customer, and that's kind of what I think happened here. I think CD Lamb was manipulated a little bit. They probably told him as well how many they would sell, though. Too, it's like, don't you want to see? <laughs> don't you want to see that eighty-eight out there again with that lamb yeah, on there? First- that first jersey when you walk into the pro shop. Right. <laughs> and then that's where you have to say, Jerry, I don't I don't give a damn how many jerseys we sell. I just I don't, just let me pick my own number, dude. <laughs> I mean, do we me at least say. think that he's going to be like the number one receiver, though, like in a, in a year or two? Do we feel like that's definitely going to be the case? Because if that's the case, then couldn't you say then from a perspective like standpoint that he's at least living up to the 88 within this era, if you will? I think he's going to be on that. I think he'll be on that level. Um, I think it depends a lot on Amari Cooper and where he takes his game from here. Um, Because they're both going to be put in a situation where one of them is going to be open almost all the time because you're just not going to be able to double both of them. Now, I do think that they both have chance to be number one type receivers, which is rare for, for teams to have. But I mean, I just, I don't see this kid having very much problem transitioning into the NFL with, what Kellen Moore is doing with what, how quickly, uh, you know, they're going to adapt things that made him successful at Oklahoma and the new wrinkles that they're going to put in. I, I mean, I don't know that he could come into a, a better situation than this one. And just the way he went from being this high school star, uh, you know, down in Houston, where you think that like, you know, some of these guys, especially at the wide receiver position, it's going to take him like a year, maybe two, you know, maybe he's going to have to red shirt. And this kid stepped in right away with Baker Mayfield and was like their number two receiver. And then the next year, you know, a new quarterback, Kyler Murray, and then he starts taking off there. And then his third year, you know, Jalen Hurts is his quarterback and and he just keeps taking it to another level. And uh, I just don't get the sense from talking to people that uh, he's, this is going to be much of an adjustment for him. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be a thousand yard receiver right away. um, But I, I feel very strongly that he will make a bigger impact his rookie season than anybody else. The Cowboys could have drafted. Yeah, I agree so 100%. About it. And you look at, like, and Amari Cooper's been a, a high-volume guy. I mean, we've seen him have close to 100 catches before. But I think we're looking at two guys who, who would surprise me if they had 75 or 80 catches in the same year, assuming health. I mean, CD had 65 catches, and the year before that, 62 catches in Oklahoma. He's got the ability to be a high-volume, high-target guy. And I think McCarthy will do a lot of things 
uh, and Kellen Moore as well, of course. But I think we'll do a lot of things that are that are centered around getting him, you know, the ball in his hands quickly uh, in space and let him go. I mean, he's a yards after catch machine. And one other thing I just want to yeah. point out is that because of Amari Cooper and the way his personality is, like it's a very rare situation because Amari will be just fine if they win and CD has 140 yards and two touchdowns and Amari has three catches and, and 40 yards. Like, And that's so rare for a number one receiver to be able to be like, no, that's fine. But that is Amari Cooper's personality. So while if this, if CD Lamb might have went to a different team, maybe you have – some type of ego with another established player already there. I don't see that at all being the case with Mario Cooper. And you have Gallup too. I yeah. So, so all three of them, like it's going to be fun. Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a blast, and that's why it's interesting. They still haven't signed Dak, and then we get the news yesterday that the Red Rifles in town. Andy Dalton signs a one year, seven million dollar contract, three million guaranteed. What it really is, but seven million dollars total. Uh, Kelsey, what was your immediate reaction to find out that the the TCU great Andy Dalton is now a Dallas Cowboy? Well, I laughed at first because, of course, in like true Cowboys fashion, it happens on like Saturday night at eight thirty p.m. or whatever it is. Like the timing of these this breaking news, it's never ideal. I and I feel for people that like I cover the team from a day to day basis because I was like, dang, Saturday night, really? Um, but. I'm excited. I think it's a great move. Like you can't, you can't not be excited in my perspective, because if you think about it, you know, we've, we've needed to secure this backup quarterback situation. Um, and I think there's a lot of moving parts in, in this conversation. I know we're going to get into them, but um, it's a smart move from a, from a perspective standpoint, you need to, it's a, it's great to have a guy that can step in. And if your quarterback goes down QB one, that he can come in and give you a chance to win games, a true chance to win games. Andy Dalton's been to the playoffs. He's a proven guy. Um, like, I'm not going to sit here and say he's the next coming because we all know that he went through some struggles, but that's not what we're not worried about that. Like, he's going to give you a better chance to win games than a Cooper Rush will. And from a, from a money perspective, I feel really good about it. One year, seven million, three million guaranteed workout bonus, roster bonus. I'm sure that's kind of how those other four million are structured. But for perspective, Eight years ago, we paid Kyle Orton $10.5 million over three years. So, and Matt Castle, you can't really count him. John Kitna, I think, was $8 million in, for, between 2009 and 11. So, this is a really, really comparative deal. Also, those deals were both years ago. So, add an inflation, and I think we're getting a steal. He wants to stay close to home, I'm sure, because he has a place here. And there's a lot of uncertainty right now. So, I just I can't give this front office enough credit for this move because it just makes sense. And I know we'll dive into this more, but no, I don't think it's insurance and trying to push Dak to sign his deal faster. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, I didn't think Andy Dalton would come to the Cowboys. I thought I was either going to the Patriots or the Jaguars. And so, you know, I'm on on the phone talking to a friend on, on Saturday night and I have alerts on my phone for certain writers and Adam Schefter is one of them. And he broke that story. And so it's like mid conversation. You're just like, Hey, I got to go. Uh, I got to start calling some people. I got to figure some stuff out here. And then I knew I was going to have to write. And so, uh, it's funny cause Adam Schefter just did this really, he did this great hour long thing on Twitter recently where he just took questions from young journalists and things like that. And getting, if you go through, make it through the whole hour of the thing, you basically learn that Adam Schefter has no life. Like he can't do anything without having his phone has to be with him at all times because you just never know when someone's going to call you and tip you off on something. And so, uh, um, he, he shared a story about like in 2016, some huge news broke while he was working out at some gym and he didn't have his phone on him. And then ever since then, like he's never, like he has a Peloton now works out at home and, and has his phone on him at all times because you just never know. And so while I sit there and I'm like, man, this sucks, you know, Saturday night, not that I'm really doing anything. It's not like where there's much going on right now, but it's like kind of, I don't really, I don't, I don't mind it at all because I'm not covering all 32 teams like a guy like that is. And so when stuff like that happens, I also don't care because it's a Cowboys thing and it keeps everything interesting. And that's what the Cowboys do best. I mean, I wouldn't enjoy my job if I was covering as much as I do now, if I was covering like the Tennessee Titans. And that's part of the reason that I like it is because they always keep it interesting and they're always in the mix for somebody. Um, but in, in regards to Andy Dalton, two things that immediately jumped out to me. One is that the deal wasn't for that much, but it's still more than what Jameis Winston got. And if this move would have been for Jameis Winston, uh, it would have been even crazier. 
and people would have been like, oh, is this guy going to compete for Dak's job? We're not not to say people aren't saying that right now, but I think it's a little bit more clear cut at where Andy Dalton is at the stage of his career that he's going to be the backup. Now, he does provide a little bit of that. Not that Dak's going to go Le'Veon Bell and, and not show up because he's got the franchise tag on him, but it does give you a guy that if stuff did get really nasty, that you do have somebody at least that you feel confident can drive the bus, and he can certainly do that. Another thought I had when I was writing the story Saturday night was just looking at his stats and how much they won early in his career in Cincinnati. And one of the reasons I thought he'd go to Jacksonville is because his offensive coordinator was Jay Gruden uh, in Cincinnati mm-hmm. early on, and Jay Gruden is now the OC in Jacksonville. And so when I was writing that, I'm just looking at these stats, and I'm just like, Joe Burrow's not going to do this in his first three or four years in Cincinnati. And now, obviously, Andy Dalton, he got drafted in the same year as A.J. Green. He had better weapons than what Joe Burrow's got. But it just like the ceiling is set so high for Joe Burrow going into Cincinnati. And I think Bengals fans would be, you know, just floored if he was able to do what Andy Dalton did early on in his career. And so he's an interesting addition for sure. And, and, and only $3 million, that's not anything uh, when you when you talk about the position and up to seven million, if he was you know he'd have to meet a lot of right. different things. He'd have to end up being the starter and and, and winning games and things like that. But uh, it just I mean this is just such a Cowboys move. They just always keep things interesting. You know my my thoughts were very so a are they better? Probably feel much better about you know if, uh, if Andy Dalton has to go out and win them a game because that got hurt. Uh, I feel much better about Andy Dalton than Cooper Rush, obviously. The thing that I was kind of not not worried about, because I think that they can still kind of do some things, but just the way that the league's economy is going to shift here for guys who wanted, even Dak might fall into this boat as well, guys who wanted a lot of big money, you're going to see a little bit of change. I don't know if it's going to be a severe change because the NFL still dominates and still has great TV deals, but you're going to see the salary cap be affected a little bit here. And guys like Jadavion Clowney may not be able to go get that five-year, $100 million deal that they want. So the first thing I wanted them to do was get on the phone and sign Jadavion Clowney or Everson Griffin, or at least try to make one of those deals work. So I didn't like spending resources on a backup quarterback. I want to approach those areas first, but they might be working on that, and they may have made the decision that maybe Griffin or, and Clowney's not for them. I'm not sure. But that was uh, you know, one thing before Andy Dalton had even signed here, the topic kind of came up. I was like, well, just make sure you're calling Clowney first. Or make sure you're calling Everson Griffin for, uh, first. The other thing I would say, though, is, uh, you know, Dak, it's not like Dak wasn't hurt last year. I mean, Dak was kind of a problem at the end of the year last year because his shoulder was jacked up. And I think to get the most out of Dak, you still want him running. And as he gets older, you're going to want him to do that less. But I think you still want him running and being mobile, even more so than he has been. And he's proven now, he's going into year five, that he's not the same guy that he was in his first couple of years when, when it comes to durability. I mean, he was hurt last year, whether anyone likes it or not. So if you get put yourself in a situation where you can give Dak a week, maybe. or I'm just thinking about all these wild scenarios here. But what if you you get in a situation where you have a three-game division lead late in the year and you can give Dak a rest? Or what if you uh, Dak's shoulder is a problem and he's questionable? Well, you know what? We could run Andy Dalton out there for a couple series and see if he can pull it together. Maybe Dak doesn't have to play today because of his shoulder. Like little things like that, they didn't want any business running Cooper Rush out there. They did not want want to do that at all. And I think that this move kind of shows that. So And uh, and if if Dak does – you know, hold out at all, even in camp or whatever. You've yeah. got a quarterback in there who they know can gel with you the offense. Trust. Yeah, you can trust yeah. to throw the ball and and learn the offense and and give them a good look. Basically, you know, you know what you've got in Andy Dalton. If you threw Cooper Rush out there as the starter during camp, are, are the receivers getting the best looks that they can get? You know, probably but not. Is it actually, is this actually going to be a scenario that we see though? Because I was looking, I was on Twitter this morning because I live from my phone nowadays, but I saw David Hellman tweet that July 15th is the window, uh, the negotiation window closes. So even so that's before camp starts. And so he would have to be at camp on the franchise tag anyways, because the window would be closed. So this isn't even like an issue of are we pressuring Dak to sign his deal faster? Because either way, he's going to make, what, $33 million next year? He'd like to probably make 38 I believe, is kind of the number that I've heard tossed around the people that know way better than me. So 
I, you know, I just, I don't feel like it, the scenario actually lines up that we can make the solid argument that Andy Dalton is the pressure to get Dak to put pen to paper. See, no, it's it gets not- kind of crazy. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's not, but I'm just going to take this away from like, I'm just going to take this as in just being Dak Prescott and just conversations I've had with Dak Prescott. Guarantee he doesn't love this because and, and to KT's point about the sitting out games late in season, Dak is not going to do that. Dak has said many times that like you don't ever want to let somebody go in there and even possibly just take your job for a little bit because you might never get it back because he's literally taken that job from everybody, whether it was in high school, whether it was in college, and then Romo in the pros. Like he's not going to want. Like I'm telling you right now, as bad as he was banged up last year, at the end of the year, no way was Andy Andy Dalton if he was on the team last year going to get in and play against Philly or play at the end of the year against the, the Red skins after Dak hurt his shoulder in week 15 against the Rams like he's too much of a competitor for that now once he gets there and, and everything's done with his contract and everything gets taken care of and, and the Cowboys have shown no signs that they're not you know interested in still doing that that's still the goal um you know he's not going to want to give up reps to anybody let alone somebody that you know yeah hey he hasn't won any playoff games but he has an established winning record and I just think of it from anybody else's standpoint you know a, a big topic right now in the NFL is obviously the Packers trading up and, and, and drafting Jordan Love well Aaron Rodgers is a million times better than Jordan Love probably will ever be. But I guarantee you Aaron Rodgers doesn't love the fact that they made a move like that. You know, so from that standpoint, I don't think it forces anybody to take, you know, pen to paper, like you said, Kelsey. But I, I, I just find it hard to believe that he's just completely like, oh, this is great. Yeah, get, get another like really established guy behind me. Like, I, I don't know that he absolutely loves that idea. And, and when he saw that, I'm, I don't know that he would sit there and be like, oh, yeah, this is a great move. I think he was just fine with Cooper Rush being his backup. Yeah. No, it's a great point because honestly, like you can't sit there and, and think that this front office like hasn't at least considered that. Like again, they're very um business savvy in that regard. So while they even if they could tell us that they don't believe that they're not like they're Dax our guy, Dax our guy, Dax our guy. And I know well Des kind of was on Twitter the other day too, talking about this, and he was like, Well, I've been told things before too, and they didn't quite pan out. So that's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you mentioned Dez because it wouldn't be a big Cowboys story without Dez weighing in on Twitter. Here's what he said. Nothing against Andy Dalton because I think he's a great player, but the Cowboys are extremely out of line. Pay Dak. I watched the Cowboys pay Tony twice, once without a winning record. I guess the Cowboys viewing the quarterback position a plug-in piece because of the dominant offense. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's a bad a word. That, that's a bad it's take. It's absolutely a bad take. And Des has had a lot of bad takes on Twitter, for being honest. He's had some good ones, too, but he's had a lot of bad ones as well. I, I just, the Cowboys right now, I mean, this is, yeah, they should have paid Dak months ago. You know, that's that's fine to have that opinion. That's great. But who knows what Dak's agents were, were wanting. They will get a deal done with Dak. But I think right now, it's irresponsible for the Cowboys to pay Dak just because I don't think anyone can really understand what is going to happen to the economy. <laughs> like this is this is not you never done contracts during a global pandemic before. So let's maybe like not give out a big long-term contract here. Just look at every business company, big business company in the world right now. What are they doing? They're cutting assets. <laughs> like I know it's a little different, but to me, Jerry and Steven and the Jerry and Steven know this too. They would be foolish to go dole out a big five-year deal for Dak right now. It just you should understand where the salary cap is going to go and where the economy of the league is going to go before you give that deal out. And I think Dak and and his agent CAA, I think they probably understand that. To be honest, so you're going to go uh, ahead and put him on the tag. Is that what you're saying? Keep him on the tag, and. You know, look, it, it it sucks. It'd be great to get the deal done, but I think I think you just have to do that because, you know, what if the what if the salary cap drops? And that's I think it's possible. Uh, I know it seems insane because the NFL is king, but let's yeah, but wait and see if we get insane. a full season. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm and I'm look, I'm I'm also to be perfectly clear, I'm the guy coming from uh, from the perspective of I really don't understand how you prevent players spreading droplets of their breathing onto other players. Like, I just think that's an impossible thing to do. So I'm the guy who really doesn't think football happens this year. And I know that seems extreme and it's early May. I hope I'm wrong. But as of right now, 
until we get some significant traction on testing and uh, and and vaccination, which is you know we'll see. You know, I, I think college football's got the most realistic you know idea here, talking about maybe doing football in February. And I just the NFL is going to do it because they're the NFL. We saw how they handled the draft. It is head down, plow forward. But eventually, we're going to be stopped. Uh, we're going to have to stop and think about the basic fundamental thing of wait. This disease spreads by breathing on each other and spreading respiratory droplets. There's no way in football, a sport in which you're touching someone at all times, that you will not spread that. And all it's going to take is one around the league, just like the NBA. It will take one case before the rest of the league goes, hell no, I'm not doing that. And there will not be football this year. So I personally think that's where it's going. I'm not trying to take the conversation down that road. I well, just think did. that's I know, and I, but, but what I'm, but what I mean is like, why would you give Dak that contract if there's a chance you're not getting a gate at your stadium this year? You, the salary cap will go down because you want Dak. It's it shows commitment to Dak. If anything, I see Dez's point there. I think I see it as disrespectful to Dak. Like if you're fully convinced that he's your quarterback, that's going to lead you to the promised land, you sign him. And you you work out a deal, and you make you don't leave him hanging like this. I I see that perspective. I don't see that think that they view the quarterback position as a plug and play at all. I think that's ridiculous. But if they're fully convinced that Dak Prescott is the is the guy, sign him, and sign yeah, him now before Pat Mahomes sets the market even higher when he does his extension. You know, I don't I don't think that they're there's just two sides to this thing, and I think that's what Des isn't taking into consideration because all we're hearing is from the Cowboys side. We don't know exactly. No one has exactly what Dak's side is asking for. And and his representatives are very good. They're the best of the best. And that's why you're not hearing that side of it. But to just assume that you know what's going on, to bring in Tony's two contracts when the, like it was never dragged out like this. Like Tony, I mean, I remember one of Tony's deals got done, the one in, I think it was 2013. It was like in the middle of, I remember we were at like the, uh, I think the lead eight or sweet 16 was out at the stadium and it was just like, boom, this is announced. Like there was, it was never like a long drawn out thing. Dak wants to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. And he's, and, and that's what his, his representation is fighting for. And he, and he has every right to do that, but to just sit there and just automatically just assume it's, ah, Cowboys are being cheap. Like, I, I don't know if I would go there. I think that, that, yeah. and, and this is just from a, you know, an outsider's perspective, they're asking for a lot too. Both sides are asking for a lot, you know, and so it's just not that easy. It's not as you know as simple as, as people think. You know, there's there's both sides. There's people that think that Cowboys, come on, this is your quarterback. Give him a few extra million and just be on with what's a couple million to you. But then the other side of it is like, okay, well, if you're Dak Prescott and you have a you know ten different endorsement deals and you're the Cowboys quarterback, why do you need a couple extra million too? Why don't you take a couple million less? It just you know, it's it's really hard for everyday people that don't make money anywhere near that universe universe to step in and say things. But like, there's just so much more involved in this. I, I just I find it hard to believe. And then the thing I always have to fall back on since I've lived here, coming from Detroit, where this doesn't necessarily always happen, the Cowboys pay the guys they want to pay. Like they're not some deadbeat franchise that just lets people walk out the door. Like they're top players, the Cowboys pay them. So it's just it's hard for me to sit here and just be like, oh poor Dak. Like oh they just won't pay him. They need to pay him. Like there's two sides of this. He should be paid what he wants, but the Cowboys also have their side of it, and there should be a dollar amount that they have set where they're like, hey, we're not willing to come above this. We have other players that we have to pay on this team. We're obviously putting a good roster around him. That offense is loaded with talent. It's not like they're sitting there and they're treating him like the Packers, and they're being like, well, well, Dak, we're trying to put talent around you, and you're like, uh, excuse me, uh, the Packers, <laughs> you're not putting any talent around me at all. So there, there's, there's two sides of the story. I think it's interesting too. I mean, Des obviously is very, he's, he loves this game so much. And there's a, a very high sense of emotion when you talk about these types of things. And I think you saw that in his tweets. And he comes from the player perspective where he's like, I'm good. I've given you my everything. Now pay me. And I think he's, he's speaking from that emotional perspective too. And I get that. But, you know, like you guys said, it is more than that because it is, it is a business. Like, Jerry thrives off thrives off these type of things, and and Dax people do as well. They, like you said, John, they're the best in the business. And while we don't know a number, like we've seen numbers that have been thrown around on Twitter, I I'm I'm not privy to the true information and what's real and what's not. But you know, I think they're at a stalemate for whatever reason. And I also would be interested in kind of getting your thoughts on the conversation around what you mentioned, John, where 
people were like, well, Dak, don't be selfish. Just sign the deal. Like 30, 30, whatever, whatever they're offering you should probably be enough. Like a couple million, like who cares? You're making more money. Are you guys, do you subscribe to that concept or do you feel like, Hey, listen, it's a business. They should get whatever they can as, as you know, as guaranteed and as much as they can, because at one point or another, this team's going to turn on them when they're not as good or they don't need them and just kick them out the door. And then like, they might be done. Like what happens then? Well, because I, only, I personally feel like, yeah, I'll, I'd like to hear your thoughts rather. <laughs> I can only speak on it from my own perspective because I, I can't get in Dak Prescott's head and, and know how he feels. I mean, just like I said, from conversations I've had with him about different things, he certainly believes, Dak Prescott believes that he could go to the Cincinnati Bengals right now and would be able to turn that franchise around. Now, that's because that's the way you're supposed to think as a quarterback. Like, you're not supposed to worry about what the other pieces are. You, you're, you're supposed to have the confidence in yourself that no matter what situation, Lions, Bengals, Browns, you're going to go in there and you're going to be able to make them successful, whether that's true or not. And there's plenty of argument to say that you would not be successful in those organizations because they're not set up correctly to be successful. So my biggest argument, if I was going to, and again, I'm a big believer, get every dollar you can get, everybody in any walk of life, wherever your job is, get every dollar you can get, whatever whatever you can make and, and you're worth, take it. But the one part of that that I will say for me personally I would probably take just a little bit less from the pre- because of the pressure. Because if you get and you max out on a deal that like is right up there with the highest paid quarterbacks in the league, every time you have a bad game, it's going to be magnified even more already as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Why not give yourself a little bit of a cushion to where you take a really good deal, but at the same time, you're just kind of like, you don't have to worry about every bad game you have. People are going to be criticizing you because they're like, hey, um, the money you make, hundred million dollar quarterback. Like, bah. yeah, you need to. Yeah, you can't be bus driver. You have to carry the team every time that they're playing sloppy. You have to put the team on your back and carry them. You know whether that's true and that happens or not. That'll be the narrative of it. And so, be, from that standpoint, I would probably take what they have on the table right now. But who knows? Uh, a year from now, whenever he gets his deal, uh, whenever that might be, um, you know, he could make a lot more than, than he's making right now, and, and he'll look like the genius in that. And obviously, you saw last year he didn't have a problem playing where he was in the final year of his contract, so it didn't bother him. So maybe it won't bother him playing under the franchise tag either. Um, so I just feel like every individual is different. I feel like we should, at this point, I feel like after that, that good, intense contract discussion, should we go to a lighter note and go to what I think will be the highlight of this podcast? Kent, yes. have you done an Andy Dalton song? I do. I have an Andy Dalton oh. song, and yeah. I hope everyone enjoys this. When Andy Dalton was signed, I just had the song in my head, and I wanted to uh, bring it to the podcast. So so basically um, you created a masterpiece in like 48 hours, maybe 36 oh, is what you're telling that. us. It was this morning, but... Uh, that's yeah, so, genuinely know, 7 impressive. 7 a.m. today, I got up and... A man of many traits. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I gotta gotta stay on this grind. You know, work doesn't stop just because the uh, the country stops. You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and um, start this one. KT, are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Here we go. This one goes out to KT Turner, Father John Mashoda, Kelsey Charles. <laughs> Swoon. Might know this from a band called Rim. Back in the day. Rodis would love this. It's his favorite band. Another redhead taking snaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Andy Dalton in a cowboy hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Number 21 behind our leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dak wants to sign, but he's not too eager. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Need a quarterback so they can score. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Andy, did you hear about this one? Time Jerry tried to make a reference. I want Mason Gore help. Jerry's <laughs> on the brother Eugenia. So he won't get touched. If you believe they need a quarterback room. 
a quarterback room If you believe There's nothing up their sleeve There's nothing to prove Buy the album now Wherever records are sold Thank you Encore! Encore! (laughs) I was waiting on the second verse Maybe we'll debut a second verse during the season, but uh, can I be your backup <laughs> first vocals on that one? When, Thank you. Yeah, like I'm available for backup vocals for you. I got you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No. And he was signed. I was like, I had that Andy Andy Kaufman song in my head, and so there you go. Let me just say this: if you don't think you're getting value from subscribing to the Athletic based off of that alone, then I can't help you. <laughs> Thank Genuine. you, Kelsey. I appreciate that. I do. I got nothing for you. For all the kids out there, uh, the band is R.E.M. Uh, and uh, j- just go look it up. That's a that's legit Broadus's favorite band, I believe. Uh, I love R.E.M. too. I love, Me too. Love, love them. Yeah, but um, God, hopefully, great. hopefully Andy enjoys that. It gets back around to him, and and hopefully he knows about uh, the Bravo Eugenia. By the way, big mystery going around about where the Bravo Eugenia is. I want to introduce our listener to the VesselFinder.com. Oh, oh my, my god. god! All you got to do is I will spend all day type on this in Bravo Eugenia, and, and it tracks it. It shows pictures, like history, a current <laughs> course. Yes, that was a a uh, discovery of ours last me? week. No, vesselfinder.com. Oh my god! That oh is my amazing. god! It's right. The current position is at Northwest Atlantic Ocean. Oh wow! Last time I checked, he was a uh, he was docked in Miami. Uh, it's, uh, the, it says it's a yacht built in 2018, currently sailing under the flag of the Cayman Islands. Oh. Uh, May 3rd. Okay. Yeah. It says Miami though, actually. Port, Port Miami. Yeah. 15 hours ago. Yeah. Oh, well he's still so, down there. Technically that is the, we don't think about it that way, but technically that is the Northwest, uh, Atlantic Ocean. It is. Oh. Miami. It is. But Hey, which is weird. next time he's on a trip, you can actually see where he's been. Which is hilarious. I know they go to Cannes, Cannes Film Festival every year. So he, he like sails it out to Italy, you know, and, uh, yeah. and France and all that and, and does does that whole thing. Um, he might like, I don't know, sail it, <laughs> sail it through the Panama Canal to go to Oxnard. I don't know what what they're going to do there. But um, well, the definition so. of it, it says, uh, I don't know what the AIS means. It says AIS type, pleasure craft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. It's I'm, awesome. I'm sure it is. I, I I bet he just takes his helicopter out there and just like, you know what? Pandemic happening? All right. Let's get on the chopper and head on out to the old Bravo Eugenia. Land it on that thing and and party. That is – So it had, it's got – the year was built, but the only – there's two things where it says basically like, you know, uh, looks like a, a lock. Like you can't see registered owner and manager. It's locked. You cannot see who it is. Like it's almost like you have to like buy a subscription to this vessel website to see the. I definitely uh, think you guys could write that off for a business class. I'm just saying. What's even weirder, more crazy? I mean, you zoom out on the map, and just the amount of like pleasure yachts and stuff out there in the world is is insane. I don't know how many thousands there are. It just like covers the whole map in different colors. With all the everybody just sailing around the world, wow. that's uh, that's impressive. But uh, yeah, if you want to check out the daily status of the Bravo Eugenia, head on over to uh, vesselfinder.com. Oh my god! Oh man, what a find! Your go-to. How place did you find that? Stalking Jerry. Um, we we talked about uh, we were talking about it on um, one of our Zoom calls last week. I forgot who who um actually told us about it but it was one of the people that works for us the athletic that's hysterical um, found it found it and um yeah so this is what happened i'm the one that told you i was oh, waiting to see if you were going to bring this up i, I right, forgot so it was you john this, I, I this is how one. this is how it happened uh bob stern was tweeting about it and someone uh put that link into one of his tweets and so when we were on a zoom call i brought it up to bob i was like that is amazing and so i'd been Searching it the last, uh, I don't know, few days or whatever, just to see if it had moved, and it hasn't. But it seems like a dream life. I uh, it's hope actually, I can live it sometime. Leave it to John yeah. Mishota to to find the latitude and longitude of Jerry's um, yacht. That's so amazing. actually funny story about that because I was I watch reality TV and 
as you guys know, Kristen um, Cavallari and Jay Cutler are getting a divorce, but this was like a month ago, right before it happened, right? When like the quarantine like first started and she was in, um, I think the Bahamas or somewhere and she, her hairdresser like posted this photo on Instagram and was like, there's this yacht. He's like, watch me today. I'm going to get on this yacht. We already know who the people are. We're just trying to find out how to get in touch with them. And I look and I was like, oh my God, that's the location where like Jerry is. <laughs> so I DM'd him. I oh DM'd him and I was like, I know who, who's boat that is. And then he was like, and like I told, I was like, if that's, if that's like the Jones's boat, then like, I know, I know who that is. And he was like, he was like, it is like, oh my God, like, can you get me in touch with them? And I was like, bro, I'm not about to like, I shouldn't even DM you first of all, but I'm not about to like connect you with like an elderly man to get on his boat during a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> Wait, this is Jay Cutler you're yeah, talking was, about? Yeah. This is I Jay d- Cutler. It was, oh, imagine. <laughs> it, was, it was his hairdresser, imagine but the, yeah, Jay Cutler was with them. <laughs> oh. oh, well, imagine the paparazzi oh. getting a photo of Jay Cutler on Jerry's boat. What would the freaking so want, <laughs> I just want you guys be? to know, you think I Dalton's almost orchestrated some nonsense, but I decided not to. <laughs> God, I wish you would. I wish you would have. <laughs> I wish there would have been some like spy photo of Jerry and Jay just hanging out on the deck, like sunbathing the world would together, lose it, like drinking Miller Lights. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what Cowboys he's, Nation would do. <laughs> he's next to another boat called uh, the the Gladiator, and then the, but it's weird because Jerry's boat is about three times as big as all these other boats, That's right? <laughs> He's also next to one called the Sea Star. Makes you wonder if that might be a cowboy boat oh. as well. Oh, here I here um, it is. I wonder. I, I heard that uh, Jerry, Jerry's wife, like lives on it. Basically, I will never go to another website. This is all I'm going to do now. There's one called the Gladiator over by him. Mm-hmm. The uh, Julia Dorothy, the Vision. <laughs> I think the Snyder's own uh, one too. The Marcus. I think there's none. There's none that are bigger than Jerry's. There's no chance. There's no chance that anyone in the NFL has a Gosh. has a two hundred fifty million dollar plus. Yeah, and we're talking about that. Like oh. that's how much Mark Cuban bought the maps for. Was two hundred fifty million dollars? Well, <laughs> like he. That's so here's much a fun game. So Dan Snyder has a yacht named Lady S. So what we should do is just get a document together and track all the NFL owners and their yachts to see where they are at all the times. Because uh-huh. like if if Snyder and Jerry are like close in proximity with their yachts, like they're conspiring and I got to know about it. I wonder if there's any kind of notification I can get whenever the Bravo Eugenia is on, uh, you know, in route somewhere. I need to get that text notification vessel finder app. Maybe they have that um, going somewhere. How much is the Jerry one? How much? 250 million. This one's 180 million. Oh, Jeff Bezos is 400. Jeff Bezos is 400 million. Yeah, it's called the Flying Well, he Fox. also has like 100 times more money than Jerry, which is insane yeah. to think about. You know, Jeff Bezos bought this uh, bought the most expensive house in L.A. It was like a $200 million house or something. And it equated to like one of us in, in an average middle class, like, uh, you know, um, income spending $17 on a house. Oh, my gosh. $200 million. That's how much money he has. I just feel bad about my life now. Yeah. Dang, dang it, Jeff. Well, it's funny that he got divorced and his um, wife automatically became like the second richest or the richest woman in the in the United States just by um, getting half, you know, chopping that thing in half. But <laughs> That's that's a glow up. Um, well, I say, <laughs> KT, maybe we leave with a little recommend of something you guys have enjoyed during the during the quarantine. That we can Absolutely. recommend to the listener to to maybe watch, listen to something like that. What what have you watched on Netflix lately? Well, for me, so I've been in the process of kind of so I never watched The Office like straight through in order. Oh, I think I went to the last episode. I've just like seen you know a how bunch dare of episodes, you? Right? Well, you know, like if, if you if you think about when it came out, uh, it was like college time for me. The perfect like time began. is what you're saying. So like you know to. Well, I don't know, it just it ended up not being like in, in terms of watching it in order, you know, and 
you know, in college not having a DVR too. Like you had to really, really plan your life really well back then. So I said, you know what? I'm tired of seeing a smattering of episodes and I know the plots and I kind of know everything that happens and I know the characters well and have for years, but let's rewatch it in order. So I've been doing that. I've been rewatching Community again because they put that on uh, Netflix. But the thing that I watched that I would like to recommend to you guys, um, and I am not a fan of this band, but I did watch their documentary. If you guys have Apple TV, uh, the Beastie Boys documentary is really good. It's two hours. And again, I'm a guy who kind of th- thinks they're kind of whack. You know, I kind of think anybody could have gone and kind of done some of the lyric work, the lyrical work that they did. But I have a new appreciation for the Beastie Boys after watching that documentary. It was very good. Um, very well done. And, uh, it's, it was two hours flew by. So that's what I would like to recommend to everyone. Nice. Love me some beastie boys. See, I don't like, you know, I just kind of thought it was like, I'm a guy and I'm going to make a rhyme, <laughs> you know? And then, and I'm another guy. I do have time. And then it, and it was like, it was felt like, okay, we got three guys and different voices, but I, you know, they were. Seen, they were taken seriously Wait, by a lot of people we, in the rap community. Can we community get that? Can time, we get a rollback real quick on that one more time? Yeah, I'm gonna. I already okay. got that as a okay, drop. Cool. We're good. I'm gonna do a Beastie He's Boys like, song ah! next week for Reggie Robinson. <laughs> oh, I'm excited for that. I have to say, yeah. I'm gonna have to tune in solely for that as well. Y'all just keep on bringing the good content. I'm gonna keep on tuning in. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I like that album, Ill Communication. Um, KT, that's probably my favorite. Beastie Boys, <laughs> Beastie Boys record, but yeah, I'm not into the early like fight for your right to party stuff. I'm more into yeah. the, I don't know, mid '90s to late '90s kind of experimental Beastie Boys music. Oh, I'll be quick, but they 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 that song they made as a joke to make fun of frat boys, and it became their biggest hit. And it became a what frat boy anthem. That's ironic. They got well, they got famous off of it. Got rich. And they were like, we turned into frat boys drinking all the time because that song made us famous. Gosh. They were playing that song ironically, and they hate it. They hate that song. I'm it sure. Was, it was really good watch. That's funny. I feel um, like most musicians hate their like, yes. hits. I know, I know I've know. i heard many times that Eminem can't stand like any of the any of the song, like doing the songs that were like Do his you like him, hit. John? Oh, or yeah. is he we, just um, like your Detroit boy? Like, are you like, is he your game day playlist or like what's happening? Oh, I think it goes by like different times in my life. Like there was definitely an Eminem phase in my life, uh, you know, growing up uh, between when he was like first started getting really big in Detroit. Obviously, you know, people were like this guy. Who, who is this dude? You know, how how is the best rapper in the game right now? A white dude. And how is the best golfer a black dude right now? It was just wild times. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, like it got to a point where it was just kind of like it kind of got old. And so I kind of moved on. But, oh, yeah, when I was, like, in high school and then right after high school, I loved Eminem and Did DMX. you uh, bleach your hair? I did, yeah. Are you kidding times. me? Yeah. Nice. I mean, it was more of, Pit. no, I swear to God. It's more, more for a, a, ba- a basketball. <laughs> Please tweet this. <laughs> more for a basketball thing. Like, dyed my hair blonde uh, before, our, like, state playoffs or whatever with a bunch of other guys on the team. But, uh, yeah, no, a lot of people were dying their hair blonde at that time. Yeah, for sure. Like, Eminem. Like, doesn't make it less weird, John. Uh, yeah, obviously Eminem was... <laughs> No, I know, but uh, Eminem uh, obviously was a big deal in in Detroit uh, as he was everywhere else. But no, not anymore. Like I really don't follow can, him or anything like that, or really listen to. It. I'd say. Yeah, I just want to make sure that. that we can we get a, a bet in place. Like if the Cowboys win the Super Super Bowl this year, will you dye your hair blonde again? Can we get? Can we just like make it? I'll never dye my hair blonde again. It's oh, so come stupid. On. Come on, no. we need good luck. No, yeah, come on, John. I just Do feel like. Team. Let's play. Let's let's move on. Uh, uh, so so you so KT, you said you were watching The Office. Uh, yes, I am. I'm actually. My recommend is I'm reading this book about The Office. It's an Office Dude. oral history book, and um, it's called The Office: uh, An Oral History of The Office by I think Andy Green is the guy's name. I'm I'm buying this right it's, now. It's great. It just came out. And I'm I can't put it down. I love The Office so much, and there's like a chapter on all the big episodes. And so every time I read a chapter, I have to stop down and watch the episode because they they put so many nuggets about how the show is made and all that. It's I love oral histories. I, I finished the SNL one very recently and really enjoyed that. And so I was looking for another one kind of along those lines, and this one came out right at the right time. 
It's uh, The Office Oral History by Andy Green. I know you guys will enjoy that if you uh, need something to I love pass that the time. That so actually, right you guys are talking about The Office. My recommendation is, if you can find it, the Parks and Rec special. They did one like last week, I believe it was, Thursday or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was so yes. good. It was so good. I mean, it was very simple. Like, obviously, you could tell they did it because they were quarantined. But, like, it was great. I loved it. If you can find it, I'm sure they'll play some sort of, like, rerun or whatever. Or, like, look on their channels. It's on YouTube, okay. actually, uh, um, Kelsey. They put it for free since it's yes. a fundraiser. So you can go to YouTube on NBC, I think, has it up. That was on great. So I liked, I loved that. And, and then uh, Outer Banks. I've been watching a lot of Outer Banks on top of The Last Dance. But Outer Banks is awesome as well. <laughs> But before the Parks and Rec uh, special, they aired a like another special, like a Paley Center special. It was just like twenty five minutes, and it was kind of going through like lots of. It's almost like a documentary on Parks and Rec. It was just twenty twenty five minutes, and it aired right before the special. Parks and Rec is my favorite show of all time, so I uh, I like I, I was kind of in tears the other night watching that. It yeah, was sad to see it come I'm, back. I, I'm I like working that. really hard. And, I'm working really hard to try and find you a picture, Kelsey, that I can text you with me. <laughs> oh, we need to see this. We got to. Um, what are you going to recommend, John? I am going to go with. I'm just going to keep saying that everybody needs to needs to watch. Um, well, actually, you know what? Before I get to that, Kent uh, allowed me to watch Dark Waters was was pretty decent, and Motherless Brooklyn. They were just solid, nothing great. Um, the Scheme on HBO, I really like a lot. It's a documentary about the. Uh, it's about basically behind the scenes college basketball and just uh, the shadiness that goes on so that players can get paid and things like that. And there's just some really good wiretap or phone taps on uh, Will Wade, the LSU coach, and Sean Miller, the Arizona coach. So that was uh, pretty entertaining. But if anybody's going to watch any movie that I've seen within the last two or three years, watch Jojo Rabbit. Yes. Best movie I've seen. Recently. Yes. Can't, can't argue there, John. Can't argue there. Well... Uh, I guess that's it, right? I guess that's it. Anything else? Okay, All right. Make sure you uh, go download this episode so you have Kent's song uh, and you, just, you know, have it forever. Um, also, I will say this. Uh, Tim Cato has, uh, did the article for The Athletic, the, the DFW Sports Fan Survey. Uh, and you, know, you could go in there. And I, I know that at my station, I, I now work at a rock station, but we were heavily <laughs> – we were very glad to be in the category of what is your favorite local sports radio station. So thanks to everyone who voted. Ninety-seven won the eagle. Uh, <laughs> I hope that was. In, That'd be so we funny. We finished in second place. Uh, we were finished in second place, and I think we were going to win. But Bob on Friday at the ticket started pumping up this thing. I think he saw us because on Wednesday we started pushing it because we got this is going to be hilarious if we win best sports station, the station that's a rock station. <laughs> um, hey, y'all got uh, second, yeah, man. That's pretty big. Yeah. I am I'm I'm thrilled uh, <laughs> to be in second place, but like if Bob didn't start pushing that on Friday, then I think we would have had a chance. Probably, uh, but that's yeah. a really good. That's a re- very fun article to check out as well. It's it's really cool to uh, get a poll of kind of ten to twelve, like really cool. It's almost like a sports census. Now that's a good article to check out. John's got a lot of work uh, up as well, so make sure you just stay on the athletic. Check it out. Also, if you get a chance, go check out Girls Talking Boys with Kelsey Charles Woo. and uh, and her good friend Meg Murray as well. The uh, brand new podcast. So give that a listen. That as new well. new. Um, for Kelsey Charles, Kelsey, thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, guys, thank for you so having much. me. Always a pleasure. Enjoy hopping on. Happy to do it anytime. And for Father John Mashoda. The late great Father John Mashoda once had dyed hair. We'll <laughs> he see will. if he'll tweet it. And for the songstress, <laughs> Kent Garrison, the man with vocal cords. I'm an angel. That I would love to steal. I wish. I wish. I wish I had vocal I'm sorry that anyone had to hear me sing, but that you, was the only way it was going to happen. I cannot You sing. are the songbird Honestly. of our generation. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like Fergie and Jesus combined. It's so you know? true. You're like a cross between... You're like a cross between Marvin Gaye <laughs> and a, an owl. And an owl. Okay. It's, it's a real you. songbird. <laughs> that is a songbird. Yeah. Literal. Uh, I'm Kevin Turner, and uh, that was another uh, episode of About Them Cowboys. We'll do it again soon. Peace. Peace.